TJ Quinn, tell me about how you found yourself on a Zoom call with a convicted Russian arms dealer. Well, the huge mystery character in, in Brittany Griner's entire saga was the man she was you know, potentially going to be traded for. TJ Quinn is an investigative reporter for ESPN and recently marked the one-year anniversary of Brittany Griner's release from Russian detention with a new report on the effort to bring her home. Tonight, there is new hope for a prisoner exchange. Russia is signaling it's ready to discuss a swap for detained WNBA star Brittany Griner and former Marine Paul Whelan. The U.S. is ready to do a prisoner swap and release this arms dealer dubbed the Merchant of Death. This one person that the Russian government decided it wanted above all other people in U.S. custody and held out for for years. So I had a, a Russian colleague who's helped me on previous stories about that country try to track down some kind of contact for him. And within a few days, I think it was a week, um, doing a Zoom call, and there's that mustache. Well, first of all, I have really nothing to hide. Second, I do believe we have a common ground to have at least normal rel relation between our countries. I also was well aware that you don't know who's listening and that this is someone that not only the CIA would continue to have an interest in, but the Russian security services. Anything you say potentially could become Russian propaganda. Anything you say, you don't know. With all these internal conflicts, or limitations, shall I say, what exactly were you trying to accomplish then with this interview? I wanted to know this man's story. If we were going to go back and tell the full story of Brittany Griner's time in Russia, I wanted to know what was his experience? What was he hearing while that was going on? And he kept bringing up that point about we've, you know, how can you have a better relationship between two powerful countries and if people aren't willing to speak? But he, he had a story to tell. After Brittany Griner's arrest at a Moscow airport in February of 2022, few, if any, reporters tracked her case as closely as our TJ Quinn. And now, with the full year having passed since Griner finally returned home, TJ has uncovered rich new details inside her Russian imprisonment and the months-long effort to win her release. So today, part one of our story behind the scenes with Greiner and her teammates in Russia during the most harrowing experience of their lives. I'm Clinton Yates. It's Tuesday, December 19th. This is ESPN Daily. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. TJ, it's been just over a year since Brittany Griner returned home from 10 months of detainment in Russia. She'd been arrested after an airport screening agent found vape cartridges in her belongings. 
you've been reporting this story for ESPN and for us here at ESPN Daily frequently since 2022, documenting the entire saga. What made you want to revisit all of it a year later? The, the biggest thing was that while it was going on, there was a lot of information I got that I couldn't report. I mean, we joke in this business, you know, when I was covering the Mets on a beat and you would treat a, a trade for a, you know, one inning left-handed reliever as an issue of national security. Um, you know, this was actually an issue of national security. Um, you had all these agencies involved. You had two hostile governments involved. And you also had Brittany Griner's life potentially at stake. And you had to remember if, if you were going to err, it had to be on the side of caution because you didn't know how anything that was reported here would affect her treatment over there. So all along, we just kind of had in mind, we'd want to tell the full story at some point and just started socking away information. So as soon as, as the trade was, was over, we went about the business of, okay, you know, what, what is the full story? We knew nothing about her experience over there. She hadn't talked. She hadn't, I mean, she'd had like a couple little press conferences, but no details. I mean, this wasn't even an iceberg. This wasn't, we didn't know the top 10%. We knew the, the snowflake on top of the tip of the iceberg and just knew there was so much more to this and it would take a while to get to. We should start in the Moscow airport where Griner was first detained. And let's give our listeners a quick refresher, but I'm also curious to know what you've now learned about the exact circumstances of her initial arrest. She was not sure she wanted to go back. She'd been playing in Russia for seven seasons, making much better money, about five times her WNBA salary, like a number of top WNBA players. But she was worn out. She had had mental health struggles ever since playing in the Wubble, the WNBA bubble during COVID. She and the whole team uh, caught COVID and was, was pretty sick from it. So when the team took its three-week break, for national European teams to play each other. She was really on the fence about going back. The story she told later was that she just the last minute decided, okay, I'm going, threw everything together, didn't realize that she had thrown 2.5 gram vape cartridges into her backpack. She went through TSA security twice. When she gets to Moscow, she lands, she uh, already went through immigration, and now she's got to go through security again to catch her flight to Yekaterinburg, where her team is. And they noticed something in the bag, pulled it aside. They looked at the bags, sealed them up, and told her, we're sending this off to a lab to be tested. They brought her across the, the road from the airport to a little customs house uh, where she waited with guards who were supposedly pretty friendly. She sat there in this customs house knowing that the forensic results on these cartridges was not going to be good. And she actually texted to someone at her agency. This dude says, if it's CBD, I'm okay, I'll be released. If it's THC, then it's lawyer, interrogation, generally bad, so I'm f And she sat there all night asking the same two questions over and over. Am I under arrest? No. Am I free to leave? No. Until finally the test came back and they said, yes, it is positive for THC. She was now the suspect of a crime. She was now in custody. She acknowledges it's THC, but also this is clearly apparently a mistake, something I'm not necessarily sure was understood before that. 
At the time, no. And it was interesting because you saw some veteran political and geopolitical journalists writing things like, there's no way this wasn't a setup. Russia has a history of framing people with drugs, which is absolutely true. But I also know, yeah, athletes do dumb stuff. They forget things. And any athlete who's playing in Russia for a team owned by an oligarch, like they are, typically the first thing you hear when you sign with a team like that is if you have any problems, you call the oligarch, they'll take care of it. So it was entirely possible. The State Department wasn't sure whether it was true or not. And people around here her, were not saying either way. Even without Griner's direct participation for the story, you pinned down so many new details, some of which we've already discussed, about the entire ordeal for her. But you also look closer at the team she was playing for, UMMC Ekaterinburg. I hadn't seen reporting on this side of the story before. Griner was slated to return to the team in February of 2022 after a couple-week break that you mentioned. When did Griner's teammates there in Ekaterinburg become aware that something was wrong regarding her return? It took a few days. She wasn't there on the 18th when they were, February 18th, when they were supposed to return. And as her teammate, Courtney Vandersloot, longtime WNBA All-Star, um, she was telling me, yeah, a lot of people report late. And we thought, okay, BG's not here. She's going to, when she gets here, she gets here. But after a couple of days, no one had heard from her. And that was not a good sign. So Courtney Vandersloot said that her wife, Allie Quigley, who also was her teammate, went to uh, Griner's interpreter and said, what's going on? And that the interpreter was clearly uncomfortable with it. And they came away with the conclusion they're hiding something, but they had no idea what. What an awkward situation. Presumably, this is Griner's camp trying to keep this under wraps as to not complicate the scenario further. Very much so. And, and their strategy from the start was get her out of there. Make that phone call to the oligarch. Find somebody in power who could just get her out. And they didn't want it to be public. Um, so the initial, there was a flurry of phone calls, but the word kept coming back to her family and to her agents that, no, it's not going to happen this time. Uh, somebody reached the mayor of Moscow, very influential, said, no, this is going, this goes to the Kremlin. Meanwhile, the teammates don't even know this is going on. All they know is she's not there. They can't reach her. And that doesn't make any sense. That's clearly huge. But the makeup of this team is also quite cosmopolitan. I mean, there are American players, there are Russian players, clearly people from elsewhere. How do you think those different backgrounds affected how each particular teammate reacted to what was happening with BG? I mean, first, they all had a, a very personal reaction. They found out on the 23rd, they were supposed to play their first game, and they're sitting in their locker room before the game, and the team GM, Maxim Ryabkov, came in to say, hey, I've got something important to tell you. And the players knew instantly, this, is, this has to be about BG. And Courtney Vandersloot said, you could see on his face, he hadn't slept in a week. And he told the team that she had been arrested for, with, I don't know if this is verbatim, but what he told them was a significant amount of hard drugs. And so they've got visions of kilos of heroin you know, somewhere in her bag. And they're just, she said, the room went dead silent. You can hear people sobbing. One of her teammates, uh, who's Russian, Yevgenia Belyakova, goes by Zhenya. She said, you know, everyone wanted to throw up. And we thought, this is not possible. Her quote was, we know BG's crazy, but she's not that crazy. Uh, and they couldn't, they couldn't understand it. And so now they're sitting there just dumbstruck about to resume the second half of their season. And the coach called them together 
and said, we have to go out and win this stupid game for her. And the whole team, you know, Courtney Vandersloot was saying, like, we, I never cared less about a game. Nobody there did. They did end up winning, but they're just in shock. Normally, whatever cultural differences you would see among teammates like that, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of smoothed over by the common language of basketball and, and, and having a common purpose. But that night, they all gathered in Genia's apartment. They all live in the same complex, kind of a luxury apartment complex in, in Ekaterinburg. And she said, yeah, actually, an argument broke out that night. She said it was me against all the Americans. And I'm explaining to them this is a big deal, that these drug laws are very serious. And the Americans' general response was, I don't care. You know, maybe she did, but not now. We're worried about our teammate. Why are you lecturing us about this? And I called Courtney Vandersloot afterward. And I said, so Genia told me that it became an argument with her against, uh, against the Americans. And she said, no, that's not accurate. It was all the Russians against all the Americans. And that the Americans were livid, like, you know, I don't want to hear about your drug laws. This is ridiculous. And it was pretty tense. And Courtney had said, look, you know, she, we get into it about stupid stuff all the time. And this was a night where all we want to think about is our teammate behind bars somewhere. The timing of all this is crucial, obviously. It's all unfolding just before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Just to orient everyone, that invasion started a week after Griner's arrest. And once the war started... Griner's American teammates ultimately chose to leave Russia, but she had no such option. As you reported, within a week or so, TJ, Griner and her family and her agents back home began to realize that there were no quick or easy solutions to her predicament. So they enlisted the help of a couple lawyers based in Moscow. And everyone had to wait until July, about five months for her trial to begin. What was the experience of that trial like for BG? It can be so monotonous. This is not Perry Mason. Um, it, typically, all the paperwork uh, is is done ahead of time. And it's really just the judge reading all that paperwork into the record. And so she just sits there in this little cage. And she's six foot nine. They're not built for her. So here she is, stooped or trying to sit in this, in this cage, listening to a judge drone on in Russian. It was a foregone conclusion. She was going to be found guilty. But it did stretch out more than a month. I mean, the system really is rigged heavily against defendants. Now, yes, a very high percentage of people arrested in the U.S. are, are, are found guilty as well. But in Russia, fewer than 1% of cases are acquitted. And the Russian legal experts I spoke to said, you know, judges are appointed knowing they're supposed to get convictions. You want to move up as a judge in Russia? You better not be acquitting people. So they knew that was going to happen. It's just, you know, were they going to seek the toughest penalty they could, which would have been 10 years for trafficking? You know, and, and the U.S. government knew the only solution for this is going, to be, uh, is going to be a trade, but we have to go through this kabuki theater of the trial because Russia has to put a veneer of legitimacy on this. And what became clear after a while to Americans was they're waiting for the midterms, which were in November. They were going to make sure the midterms were over so that a trade for Brittany Griner could not be any possible political benefit to Joe Biden. Yes, the midterm elections were slated for November. But despite Russia's slow walking this and the obvious emotional intensity of the entire ordeal, it seemed like Griner did a pretty remarkable job of staying in good spirits. 
one of the things that captured that the best was a moment you learned about when her Russian teammate, Jenya, who you mentioned earlier, went to visit her in prison. She, you know, I was hearing at the time from her lawyers, Maria and Alex and people around her that, no, she's actually doing great. She's in a great mood. She's being treated well. And I'm thinking, well, of course they're going to say that. I mean, she's, they're trying not to, you know, infuriate Russian officials. They're going to put the best, you know, the best veneer on this that they can. But no, by all accounts, she really was treated as well as you can be given the circumstances. Again, this was not a spa you know, retreat. She was in a, she was in a freaking Russian jail. But Zhenya said she went there. And as she went to check in at the jail, uh, a number of people recognized her. Um, again, they're women's sports, uh, team sports are, are a lot bigger in Russia. Um, going that goes back to the Soviet era and people recognize her. She's also a six foot tall blonde woman. She stood out and they said, what, why are you here? And she said, I'm here for, uh, for Brittany Griner. And they said, oh, you're here for our girl. And she's like, your girl? She's my girl. What are you talking about? Everybody had just had this incredible affection for her. She said that she went in there and they, and they brought Brittany out and she was wearing Jordans without laces in them and had a T-shirt over a hoodie. And they sat down with this plastic barrier between them. And a, a female guard had to sit there with them to monitor the conversation. And about three minutes into it, the guard said, According to Zhenya, she said, I'm so bored. Can I, I'm, I'm just going to leave. And so the two of them just sat there talking for three hours. Mm. And most of it was just chit-chat. There was a Russian TV show that Brittany had been watching that her, her cellmates, who spoke some English, had been interpreting for her. And she was really into it and wanted Zhenya to watch it so they could talk about it. Zhenya brought her some black market Pringles because um, that was Brittany's favorite snack. And she, you know, you couldn't get them in the country after the war started. And she found somebody who did. She paid a lot for them. But Genia said she also spoke to her therapist before she went about how should I talk to her? And the therapist told her, talk about hope, share hope with her. And at one point she asked her, you know, BG, are you hoping? And she said, yes, you know, Genia, I am, you know, I, I, I'm going to be okay. Even if I'm here for 10 years, I know I'm going to be okay. She said, but for the most part, they were laughing so hard that the plastic divider between them was shaking. Wow. After all of this theater, after all of this time of Brittany sitting through Russian judges talking at her, there was finally time for the verdict. What happened? So they get there in court. And the judge reads out the, reads, reads out the verdict and says nine years. And Maria, her lawyer, said it, preparing her for it is one thing, hearing it is another, and that she could hear her sobbing. Um, that just kind of a gasp went through it. Maria said she started to cry. And she said, you know, she was shaken by it as well, even though she knew what was coming. Because uh, once she was convicted, yes, it... it it did mean that serious negotiations could take place at that point. But it also meant that she wasn't probably going to be at the jail for much longer. That once you're sentenced, you head off to a Russian prison camp, uh, a labor colony. These are, these are remnants of Stalin's gulag system. And this is a stuff that, you know, the Russian writers in the Soviet era were writing about. And Brittany Griner was headed to that. Uh, so there, this, 
fear set in, okay, yes, this this will allow, you know, a deal to finally take place. But she didn't know when she was leaving. And the fear set in, you know, where am I going to go? They don't tell you. You're just suddenly gone one day. That was probably the start of the most terrifying period of her of her time there. So they were preparing that and Maria and Alex were, were trying to gather things that they thought she would be able to take with her and might need in some prison. And then November 4th, they uh, just a few days before the midterms, they show up at the jail and she's gone. And they have no idea where she is. Coming up, where in the world is Brittany Griner? Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Delicious, meat nutritious in the snack that packs a real protein punch. Wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one-ounce serving has 6 grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you're on the go a lot, taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries. Well, the good news is not only are wonderful pistachios a complete protein, providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut, or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. TJ, throughout this whole saga, dozens of people stateside, both inside and outside of the government, are exploring every angle they can to get Griner home. But by early November, nearly nine months now since the initial arrest, her Russian lawyers have informed everyone back in the U.S. that they don't know where she is. What did they eventually learn? They learned that she had been on a prison train, which they expected, which sounds like something right out of a movie. Um, when I asked them to describe it, Maria said, this is not the Orient Express. You know, this is a rolling jail cell and it goes across the country and it drops prisoners off at some places. And then sometimes they're unloaded and they spend the night in a jail and then they're back on and they're heading to wherever they're going. And as Alex put it, um, she spent the night in what she described as some pretty nasty places. While this is happening, Maria is calling around to different prisons saying, do you have her there? 
And after I think it was five days, she reached uh, the IK2 women's prison in Yavas, Russia, in the Mordovia region. And they said, yes, we've got her. So it sounds like the environment at IK2 was far more intimidating than what she was dealing with in Moscow. How did that eventually play out for her? Well, it's already the start of a Russian winter. When she arrives there, the temperatures were in the high 20s. You know, that's not Siberian cold, but it's pretty darn cold for uh, someone from Houston particularly. And she got there and she got sick right away. Some kind of flu or something. And she was kept in quarantine for two weeks. So she's in isolation during that time. The prison had two different reputations from the people I spoke to. One was that it was this notoriously harsh place. But others had said, well, no, it's actually, you have a number of women in there who are either pregnant or have children. And so it can actually be a better environment sometimes than other places. There are a lot of potential work assignments that that she could have. And she actually told the warden there, I'd love to do something physical. She had really gotten away from the idea of basketball when she was in jail in Moscow. In fact, there was a hoop at that jail and her, her lawyers asked her one time, we could bring you a ball. And Brittany said, I don't want to touch a basketball. I don't want to look at one. You know, maybe once if I'm sent to a, to a prison camp, maybe I'll feel differently sometime in the spring, but I'm not ready to think about it. But once she got out to IK2, she said she wanted physical assignments so she could be moving around. She was assigned to a barracks. And the, the work that they did was in the sewing shop, mostly making uniforms for prisoners, for guards. And there was an older woman who worked there who immediately recognized, we don't have anything off the rack for a six foot nine person. Right. Um, so she said, I'll make you a special uniform. And what Maria and Alex told me was that not only did she custom make this, but she put a lining inside it to keep her warmer. She used the fabric that they used for the guards' uniforms, which was more comfortable than the prisoner uniforms. And this, this uniform, she actually sewed secret pockets into the lining of it um, so that Brittany could hide candy or some little bit of, of contraband. And at one point, I was told, they asked her, hey, we've got all these icicles hanging from the eaves. You're the only one who can reach them. Do you mind knocking them down? And so she went around with that huge wingspan, knocking icicles down from the eaves, and then saw there were some on another floor above that. So she climbs on the roof to get to those. And now the guards are freaking out because they're terrified. They know that this woman who was in their charge, that Vladimir Putin knows who she is. She is potentially part of some huge diplomatic move. Um, the president of the United States knows who she is. And they're terrified that she's going to slip and fall off the roof and break her neck. But she had this enthusiasm for everything she did that just kind of blew people away. The celebrity that you referred to, was it different at the work camp than it was for her in a Moscow jail? It sounds like it was pretty similar, that they all knew who she was. And same experience she had when she would be in the courtyard of the jail in Moscow, that when she was out and about, people would be shouting to her, hey, when are you going home? When's there a trade? And the guards would say to her, oh, you're probably going home soon. There's probably going to be a trade. How much news was she getting from the outside world at that point, if she was so famous? And how aware was she as a result of what was being done to get her home? She didn't know what was, what was being done. Few people did. She was getting messages from her wife, Sherelle, uh, from her family, 
And so when the lawyers came, they would they would bring all that material. And that was her lifeline to the rest of the world. So she had some idea of world events, but she did not know what was going on in regards to her her future. And TJ, this is where her future dovetails with where we started this story, this interview you were pursuing with the so-called merchant of death, the guy who would become Griner's Russian counterpart in this whole affair. Compare the situations of these two individuals who at this point are physically worlds apart. In that sense, she was in the exact same situation as Victor Boot, who's sitting in the U.S. penitentiary in Marion, Illinois, uh, watching ESPN and CNN and getting updates from the Russian ambassador and other consular officials. The U.S. is ready to do a prisoner swap mm. and release Victor Boot. He's this arms dealer dubbed the Merchant of Death, currently serving a 25-year prison sentence in the U.S. And all they're telling him is, hey, we're trying to do this, but the U.S. isn't negotiating the right way and we're waiting for them to do it the right way. And so here you had two people on opposite ends of the, of the world just desperate for any information about whether this was going to happen. And TJ, that is the next part of this story, behind the scenes of the effort to get Brittany Griner back to America, which is exactly where we will turn our focus for tomorrow on the show. But for now, I'm Clinton Yates. This has been ESPN Daily. TJ and I will be back tomorrow to pick up part two of our story.